Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here. And before I get to this podcast episode, I want to ask a very special favor from all of our listeners. Do you have a copy of the Game Changers for Government Contractors book? If you said yes to that, would you please go write us a review on Amazon? I would really, really appreciate it. The thing that most people don't know about Amazon is Amazon actually doesn't approve a lot of the reviews. So I get emails all the time from people that says, hey, I just wrote a review. I really appreciate the book. Love the book. And I go look on Amazon and the review's not there. And I'll shoot them an email and say, hey, you know, it's not there. And they're like, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) So it's just, it's really funny how Amazon rejects a lot of the reviews. It really stinks. So what I'm asking for is if you have read the book, you love the book Game Changers for Government Contractors, please go write a review and uh, hopefully it'll make it in there. We just, we really appreciate all of you and just checking out the book and the feedback on it has been outstanding. I really, really appreciate it. And I just need you to do the one more step. Go ahead and write a quick review for us. So we really, really appreciate that. So thanks for that. And now let's go check out this next episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. We've got a great episode lined up for you today. We're going to be talking to Adam Austin about CMMC. I'm sure you've not heard anything about this in the market, Uh, you know, tongue in cheek there. But uh, Adam, why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do over there at your company? Yeah, sure. Thanks. And uh, thanks, Michael, for having me on. Uh, I am cybersecurity lead for a couple of entities. Uh, the the entity I'm representing today most is an uh, organization called Totem Technologies. We go by totem.tech. That's our, that's our uh, URL, our website URL. And we're through totem.tech, we're offering our expertise, experience in navigating Department of Defense contractor cybersecurity requirement waters, uh, especially for the small to medium-sized business. Um, and that's because our uh, the other entity I represent, an uh, entity called Hate Bain Associates, is a, is a small business. It's actually probably a micro business. We're fewer than 20 employees, and uh, we actually execute a prime contract for the U.S. Air Force and several other subcontracts for uh, all of the other branches of the Department of Defense. And so we are ourselves subject to some pretty um, stringent cybersecurity requirements being a DOD contractor. And uh, we've been working through these requirements ourselves for three years now, three, four years since the, since they came online in the, uh, in the DFARS. And uh, like I said, taking that experience and offering it through a, a separate entity, totem.tech to our peers in the industry. Yeah. It, it, what, a, what a great way to do that. You know, making sure, that uh, all areas of that are covered. So, you know, when I when I was just listening to you, one of the things that jumped out is you're talking about over the last three or four years. And so I think a lot of people believe that the cybersecurity thing has just come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, you know, this is a big deal and people are sweating this. And, you know, we've been talking about cybersecurity at some level for a lot of years. I think a lot of people, a lot of government contractors have not been paying attention is the real uh, problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so what cybersecurity requirements currently exist for DOD contractors? I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, sure. And, and that's a great question. And it's 
the cybersecurity requirements in general have been around for other industry sectors for 20 plus years now. So really since the, the burgeoning of the internet in the mid nineties, for instance, banks were getting hit hard in the late nineties, early two thousands. And so the banking industry has cleaned up its act with respect to cybersecurity on for 20 plus years now. Um, and then healthcare is, is in a similar industry with similar requirements to protect sensitive information. These, the, the, the basic requirements to protect federal contract information, including Department of Defense contracts, has been around um, for, for 10 plus years. There's a clause in the, the FAR, the Federal Acquisition Regulation, that requires 17 basic cybersecurity safeguards to be put in place by any contractor that processes or that executes any government contract period. So the landscapers that mow the lawn at the Pentagon have some basic requirements to protect federal contract information. Obviously with Department of Defense contractors, that information can be a little bit more sensitive. Mm -hmm. And um, and so in 2016, there was a addendum to the DFARS, the defense supplement to the FAR, that required the implementation of a um, set of safeguards that's outlined in a NIST document, that's the National Institutes of Standards and Technology. And uh, Mike, I don't know if you know much about cybersecurity, but there's a lot of jargon and a lot of acronyms. Yeah, so, yeah just a few. It, yeah, yeah, so there'll be several that we talk about today. So if I don't if I don't do my job and sort of expand that acronym, just stop me and ask yeah, me to clarify. Yeah. Well, and, and for everybody listening, I mean, you can always Google it or, or whatever if we miss one of those because – you know, I'm, I am a tech guy myself. And so sometimes, yeah. you know, they just fly right over your head, but it, it's not hard. You know, you, we, we can Google all this stuff. So, yes, we can. Google is your friend. Yeah. Very um, much. Yeah. So we have in the, the DFARS, we have this requirement to implement the, the set of safeguards and that are published by NIST. Uh, it's called the, um, the, for the protection of the confidentiality and integrity of controlled unclassified information in non-federal systems. So IT systems that aren't owned by the government, they're owned by contractors doing government work. And there are uh, 110 safeguard requirements in this publication. And those expand out to about 320 or so individual actions that an organization would have to execute to build a compliant and worthwhile cybersecurity program for their, for their organization. That sounds a little overwhelming. It it can be. It can yeah. be. Um, it's it will definitely involve some resources, so time, people, money, to build a compliant cybersecurity program, and it takes time to to do it properly. Like I like I said, Hape and Associates, we're still in the process of building out a cybersecurity program, and we're three to four years into it now. Wow! It's just uh, for a, for a small business, it just it takes a lot. Yeah. And, and I assume, you know, the time it takes is probably drastically different from a landscaper to somebody who is working on a DOD contract, you know, in, in a secure facility, basically that sort of thing. You know, you have different levels of sophistication here in the type of work that's being doing, uh, that they're doing. And so that's just requiring different uh, levels of this. Am, am I right? Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, so uh, the landscaper has 17 basic requirements. They're, they can be a challenge in themselves, but it's not the 100 plus things that yeah. 
the manufacturer of a valve that goes into a, a missile. Yeah. Uh, for a little instance. Different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Handling all those technical drawings, um, quality inspection reports, all the communications back and forth of the program office mm-hmm. that can all be considered controlled, unclassified information or uh, a, uh, a subset of that is controlled technical information, especially things like, like drawings for the, for that widget, for that valve. And uh, so all that, the storage, the processing, the transmission of that type of information all has to be protected according to these, these uh, safeguards that have been published. So I, that brings up a question for me. So if, if I'm listening to this and I am newer to government contracting, maybe I don't have my first contract yet, or maybe mm-hmm. I have a couple, is there a chance I don't even know about this? Oh, for sure. Uh, I think there are something like 300,000 suppliers, vendors, primes, subcontractors in, in what they call the defense industrial base, the DIB. Mm-hmm. And, um, I would say at this point, a small fraction of those really understand the depth and breadth of, of the requirements. I'm, I'm sure most of us have heard of some of these compliance activities that we'll talk about here in a second, um, specifically the CMMC, but they don't really know what that is and what's required to become compliant. Um, our Most of our clients reach out to us because they are a supplier and the prime contractor has flowed down uh, the requirements as the primes are supposed to do. And, and these suppliers vendors, so it's machine shops. Somebody started a machine shop in their garage 30 years ago and evolved to be able to produce high fidelity parts for the air force, let's say. Um, uh, and these, these cybersecurity requirements are being flowed down and they have no idea what to do. So they, they reach out to us where we're touting ourselves as the experts just because we've been going through it ourselves. And, uh, there's a lot of explanation, a lot of translation of requirements that's required just to get them to understand what, what they have to do to protect this information. Yeah. And which I know a lot of people think that, Hey, some of this information isn't, you know, that sensitive or whatever, but you just, you never know with what one piece of data can do. So I I always tell people don't underestimate the sensitivity of what you're working on. You know, I I grew up in the, in the government as an analyst. And so I was actually talking with my daughter this weekend. She was like, that's really cool, dad. Because I I was like, I was a cryptographer. So basically a code breaker And, and, and a huge part of that was looking at little snippets of data and trying to tie that to other things. And so when you look at hackers, it's the same thing. They're, they're great analysts that take one little piece of data and use that to manipulate something else or, or to form a puzzle together. So if you're listening to this and think, Hey, the stuff I'm dealing with is insignificant. There is nothing insignificant about your government contract because one little piece of data here and one little piece of data there can build a puzzle for a hacker or someone from another country that's trying to hack and, and do some sort of cyber terrorism, if you will, on a country because it's the simple things in my, this is my soapbox, right? Uh, you know, it's one little piece of data that can, can trigger something in their brain to figure out how to perform an attack. 
how to get in and do something or how to manipulate that data somewhere else. And, and we don't always think of that. And so there's that one little piece of data that's really the key and you never know what it's going to be. So, you know, when I look at it, yeah. I, I think everything just, everything is so sensitive. Uh, we just, we take it for granted sometimes. Yeah. And the, our adversaries, uh, the nation states that are our adversaries, so China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, they are actively uh, targeting the contractors, the suppliers, the vendors that supply these primes, especially small businesses, because they know we're the weak link. Right. That we probably don't have the protections in place. And there right. are two there are two really visceral examples of of what you were talking about with that sort of take one little piece of information from one supplier and aggregate that with information that we stole from another supplier and then uh, extrapolate. And we can essentially build the same capabilities that the United States has for, for on the cheap. Right, so right. the one example is the uh, our new our new uh, fifth generation fighter, the F thirty five Lightning, produced by Lockheed Martin. Uh, so it's U.S. and and many of our allies have, uh, have this fighter in their arsenal now, um, and it's taken you know twenty plus years to develop this thing. Lockheed's the prime, but there are thousands of suppliers and vendors that supply parts for this thing. We produce one of these for around $100 million. The Chinese have almost a completely identical uh, version of the F-35. They call it the J-31. It looks, and when you, if you Google the J-31 versus F-35, you'll see side-by-side -side comparisons and they look almost identical. And they are because the Chinese stole most of the technology, uh, drawings, specifications, uh, from contractors. And it might not have been solely from Lockheed Martin. It was probably from the rest of us down mm -hmm. through the supply chain. And they, because they stole it, they produced the J31 for around $10 million. So an wow. order of magnitude wow. cheaper than our F35. And um, it looks identical, supposedly has very similar capabilities to the F35. And they didn't have to, they didn't have to design it themselves. Yeah. So they're, they're actively targeting that the theft of that type of information. They're also not just interested in the information. They're interested in our systems and our pr processes for how we manufacture the components that go into those, into those weapons. So they're targeting, um, uh, like I said, not just the information, but they want to know like, how is an efficient assembly line created to create this valve that goes in this, in this engine component. And, uh, so they can they can spit these things out cheaper than we can because they didn't have to go through that manufacturing engineering process themselves. Yeah, I mean, you you learn a lot from the mistakes, but you get to the end and like you have this streamlined process, and you know it's like, well, what if we didn't have to waste all that time and money? Yep, learning. Yep. You know, so again, it's it's something that on the surface seems insignificant, and I think the the reason for in this podcast for this slight tangent is to me to really emphasize the importance of this, not just the focus on, you know, you know, meeting the compliance of it. Because I, I think there's a lot of people that think, oh, it's just another hoop we've got to jump through. And, you know, it's just more government red tape. There's a reason. And it's very, exactly. very important to national security. And <clears throat> it's very important to our client's mission. And it's very important to you know, just doing the right thing. And so I, I, I wanted to go down that rabbit hole a little bit because I think 
people need to understand the importance uh, of how that works. So today in DOD, you know, how is uh, a, is the contractor cybersecurity compliance currently even being assessed? Yeah. So um, currently, there is a regime, a, an assessment paradigm that requires contractors to self-assess according to an assessment methodology that's been published by the Department of Defense. Um, self-assess against a scoring rubric. So I mentioned that NIST doc, the NIST publication lists 110 safeguards that have to be implemented. The Department of Defense has released a scoring rubric that you that the contractors can use to self-assess and generate a score and provide that score uh, to the, back to the Department of Defense for inclusion in a database that's that sort of lists the overall or that they use to gauge the overall health of their supply chain, right? Um, so there's this self-assessment that we're all required to currently be performing. The DCMA, which is the Defense Contract Management Agency, and DCSA, which is the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency, are well, can then pick and choose um, amongst the supply chain, amongst the suppliers and vendors, to perform more high fidelity um, assessments themselves to sort of confirm that score uh, or refute that score. And uh, those more high fidelity assessments can take the form of a uh, review of the organization's cybersecurity program policy documentation. And they would, they would deem that a moderate level of, of um, confidence that they would have in the score. Or, or they can actually choose to come on site and um, spend, takes about a week, spend a week on site with the contractor and supplier and really dig into the weeds of their cybersecurity program and look for that compelling evidence that what the contractor is saying they're doing, what, what safeguards they say they've implemented that they've actually implemented. And the, the DCMA and DCSA are actively doing this. They, they kicked off a pilot program last year where they went, to, they went on site with the 15 largest primes, prime contractors and executed and refined this methodology. And they're currently uh, conducting these on-site assessments for contract contractors and members of the supply chain that they that they are involved with they deem um, um, programs of special interest to the department of defense right. so that's the current regime but things are going to change yeah and i think you know with the cmmc I, I assume part of even the reason for this was to take away the self-assessment and put it into a third party's hands so that we could actually have, you know, an objective point of view here, because everybody is going to usually check a lot of the boxes of, yeah, yeah, we do that. Yeah, we do that. Uh, and not necessarily dive down at the at the appropriate level here. So why don't, yeah. we, we understand a little bit about the current setup. So talk to us a little bit about what is CMMC and how is that different from this current paradigm that we see? Yeah, sure. So CMMC, another acronym, it's the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification that's rolled out. Let's see, the DOD published it in uh, end of January, 31st of January, I believe. And it's they're in the process of, so what this is, is going to be a, uh, the certification that comes out of this process for contractors is going to be a sort of license to operate with the Department of Defense. 
So like you have a driver's license to be able to operate your, your car, your vehicle, you're going to need to have a CMMC certification in order to propose to or execute Department of Defense contracts. And this, this will cover the entire, uh, uh, some level of certification will be required for the entire defense industrial base. So all the way down to your landscapers uh, and all the way up to your prime contractors. And this is uh, the various levels of certification. There are, there are five levels in the CMMC. Each, con each uh, contract will have a level of CMMC certification associated with it. Level one being the most basic and level one, or sorry, level five being the most stringent level of certification. Um, anybody, that's, anybody that's familiar with the CMMI, that's the Capa Capability Maturity Model Index that was, it used to be managed by uh, Carnegie Mellon University in their Software Engineering Institute. It's since been, the, the reins of management have been passed off to a, a uh, cybersecurity body called ISACA. And I've, now that I've said that, I can't remember what that stands for, even though I'm certified by them, dang it. Yeah, but uh, no um, anyway, it's the CMMI uh, framework. The CMMC has been based heavily and draws heavily off of CMMI. So if you're familiar with that, where you've worked at a contractor that had to be, say, CMMI level three certified for systems or software engineering. The CMMC process is going to be, is going to be very similar. Yeah. And so, so it's a mature process. I, I think that's one of the things to note from this is it, it cause I've been in government for a long time and yep. the biggest thing that most people run into when they see something new is like, well, this is going to change 400 times over the next year. Because uh, they don't know what they're doing, right? So, but this is a little bit different. You know, this is something that's like you're talking about this based on this mature model. I, I, I assume it's going to add a, a, a different level of maturity to it. The, and there, there will be changes to the CMMC as they, as the process itself matures and the DoD figures out how the proper implementation is, especially for small businesses and you know those the two hundred and ninety eight thousand. Members of the DIB that aren't a large prime contractor, you know, um, and how so how they figure out how to get us all certified. But uh, but yes, this is uh, a more concrete process for especially for assessment than what currently what currently exists. Um, so there'll be as part of CMMC there will be a practices that the organization has to demonstrate that they that they perform and these practices are equivalent to those safeguards that I was that I mentioned before um, in fact at a level three CMMC certification you're, you're you would be required to execute all of the practices aka implement all of the safeguards in the NIST 800-171 publication there's a there's an exact one-to-one -one relationship um, with the addition, CMMC has an additional 20 or so practices, uh, yeah. CMMC level three, CMMC level one has those basic 17 practices that were mentioned earlier that are included in the, uh, the FAR, the original clause in the FAR. And that I said, all, all contractors have to currently execute, even including your landscapers. So level one is those 17 basic 
level three is uh, around 130 different practices. So you have this, you'll have to demonstrate that you execute these practices, which are everything from, um, do you control, how do you control access to the sensitive information that you're required to protect? Do you have uh, the uh, capability to respond to cyber incidents such as ransomware, hacking, phishing, um, theft, those sorts of things. And so there's this spectrum of safeguards, practices that you have to demonstrate that you execute within the organization. And then uh, on the other side of the, the certification coin is you also have to demonstrate that you have these the processes in place to support the implementation of these safeguards. So do you have, um, does the organization have a review process in place to review their cybersecurity plan and policies with some frequency. So you have to you have to demonstrate that you have the practices in place and you also have to demonstrate that you have the processes in place to Im continuously improve upon those practices. Hmm. So there'll be these uh, there'll be these levels, the stratification of different levels of certifications that can be applied per contract, but every contractor will be slotted into one of these CMMC levels. Where do you see most contractors fitting? Like if if you had to say, you know, 75% or 50%, whatever it is, you know, most people wind up in two, three. Where do you think? Yep. Most of us will be in uh, level three. So level three is uh, the, for those of us that process the controlled technical information for the Department of Defense. So we build that valve that goes in that missile and we process those those uh, engineering drawings and the uh, conformance reports that come out at the end after the quality assurance process. That That's considered controlled technical information and will be uh, the level of certification associated with processing that type of information will be level three. Okay. There'll be some small subset, probably it sounds like from the from the briefings from the Department of Defense, uh, less than 100 members of the supply chain will be level four or level five, those more stringent certification levels. And then level two will be rarely assigned. It's sort of a, a bridge between level one and level three. And then, like I said, all the rest of the suppliers that, that don't process technical information will be level one. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, I, I think for a lot of people listening, you know, we could we could talk about, you know, timelines and dates and all that kind of stuff. I think that's been covered in a lot of the information that's out on the Internet. But I, I so I, I want to kind of move away instead of talking about that, because I know the timeline may be shifting on, you know, when you're going to see this in RFPs. You know, they're talking about certain dates, you know, in, in Q2, 3 or whatever of this year. Um, and for those that may be listening a later year, you know, we're recording this in early 2020 so you know by the time you're listening yeah. to this this may this may be up and running in full effect but um the the question on a lot of people's mind is what's the impact on small businesses yeah so it's the impact is not much different than the the impact of the current requirements so if you are a if you're just that landscaper, that, that lawn maintenance crew, you have those 17 basic requirements currently imposed upon you. You should be working towards compliance with, with those. 
that being said, there is there are resources that an organization will have to expend to to become compliant to 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 protect this information that we're all responsible mm -hmm. for protecting, right? And that that those resources are time, money, and uh, the human factor, hiring the right folks or finding the right service provider to to help you implement these safeguards. The like I said, the most of most of us will be slot into a CMMC level three, and there are hundreds, uh, over 300, board, uh, coming close to about 400 individual action items that the organization has to has to implement, and that includes uh, both writing policies, so sort of shall statements for the organization, so the organization shall protect CTI in the following manner, mm -hmm. and then procedures for how to implement those policies and then also the procurement of technology and uh, IT tech components to actually help enforce the policy. So there, there will be monetary expenditure that has to that has to happen uh, to be able to to be able to meet these requirements and implement these safeguards. If you're going to try to do all the all of the safeguard implementation in house, uh, you'll need some talented folks to help you with that. And those folks aren't cheap. If you outsource it to managed service providers, obviously there's going to be a, an ongoing cost associated with, with outsourcing to a MSP. Right. Uh, I can tell you in our experience at Hate Bay and Associates, we are tens of thousands of dollars um, deep into the, into the overall process. I won't put a specific number on it, but it's less than a hundred thousand, but it's definitely tens of thousands. Yeah. Um, we're a prime contractor, so we process that CTI. We expect to be have a level three CMMC cert called out in a contract. And uh, yeah, so we, it's involved both the procurement of new technology and also uh, training in-house for skills and talents in-house and then also outsourcing to, to service providers. So that, that brings up the question, how do you see... And I know at a high level, this is, I've seen this addressed a little bit. How do you see companies recouping those costs? Because this is yep. this is a new cost on top of everything I'm doing already. How do you see companies recouping that? Yep, it's that's a great question. It's supposedly with the CMMC, there will be opportunities for uh, contractors to be directly reimbursed for their expenditures to become compliant for these contracts. So what? What that means, we're, we're not sure. Does it mean a, yeah. a contract line item in the actual um, in the actual contract itself? So like a CLIN that we can bill against? Does it mean that we can somehow justify our GNA rates, our overhead rates, and increase in those rates and yep. capture that increase in our in our proposal response? And the government will be equipped to uh, understand that this is this is a differentiator between two organizations are competing on the same contract. It's not clear. It's not clear how they're going to fund it, right. um, especially with all the contract mods that will have to happen over the course of years to fully implement this. But th they're, so they're saying supposedly will be, there'll be some operation or some, uh, of some recuperation of, of resources. Yeah. And I think if, if I had to look into a crystal ball, I think, uh, you know, all the, the options you listed there are very viable and hopefully though, it won't be like with the IRS where 
they go, eh, you know, you've met the standard deduction, so <laughs> we're, we're going to go ahead and give you that, but we're not going to give you the rest. Yeah, you know, right. T- type of thing. So, but, uh, but yeah, you know, really interesting stuff. I mean, it, if you I'll put it this way, what is the best advice you can give for people entering the market right now and people that have been in for a while that have, I guess the best way to put it is just they've had their head in the sand related to this. Mm-hmm. And now, they're not going to be able to win a contract without it. What's, what's your advice to those people listening? Yeah, it's my advice is this. It's not going away. So the head in the sand uh, approach is not going to work. And it is a challenge. Uh, a CMMC level three cert for a small business, especially a micro one like, like ourselves, is going to be a serious challenge. And you need to start now. First of all, you're already required to, 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 be, to meet these these uh, safeguard implementations through because of the DFARS contract, it just hasn't been enforced. The enforcement's been lax. So you're already on the hook and the, the head in the sand approach is, is illegal, frankly, frankly, but uh, um, the CMMC is coming. You will be required to have a certification to even propose on contracts uh, or if you have an existing contract, it will be modified and it will take time. It takes, not days, not weeks, uh, months for most organizations, at least six months. And you're, you're probably looking at a year or more to implement some of these trickier safeguards, things like uh, multi-factor authentication. So not just using usernames and passwords are not going to cut it anymore. You have to have uh, other factors of authentication. So like, the, you know, those Google authenticator codes or USB dongles that some of us have used if you yeah been in the government environment. So those those are tricky technological hurdles for a lot of organizations, especially ones that have been around and d- doing things the same way for 35 plus years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So start now and take it seriously. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you covered that because that was actually going to be my final question about the timeline because I think a lot of people, again, think, well, I know how long it took me to get this certification or this or that and how yeah. hard can it be? Um, you know, the, the one piece of advice that I always tell people is go look in the documentation that's already out there that you're already, you know, supposed to be meeting and get a jump start on this stuff. There's no reason yeah. to, to sit around and wait until, Hey, Oh, I just saw it in an RFP. No. Yeah. Why would you do that? There's no reason. I was actually on a call with a client this morning and we happened to miss an RFI that came out and, uh, they're like, well, you know, I guess we're going to wait for the RFP and, when the RFP comes out, uh, you know, we'll be able to go after this. I'm like, no, you've got the RFI. Let's get started. Like yeah, today, we already we already know so much. And, you know, this is when you're a government contractor, they don't tell you this. Most of your job is about gathering intelligence, just information <laughs> and intelligence. It really is. And, yeah. you know, the more of that you gather, the easier your life will be in the end. It'll just make it easier to do everything. So... Um, so yeah. great, great discussion it, on this today. I, I think it's all been, been really good. What are your final thoughts for folks? Yeah. Uh, your last question was really uh, a great sort of uh, segue into the final thoughts. And that, that is, this is going to be a challenge um, implementing these safeguards. So the, the sooner you can start and uh, you know, gathering that intelligence, like you mentioned, and starting building your cybersecurity program, your compliant program, the better, because you don't want to be caught with uh, an RFP coming out 
and a two week two week turnaround on the response um and try to start building your, your cybersecurity program in two weeks another another thought that i have that I haven't mentioned yet it is imperative upon us the supply chain the defense industrial base to push back on the department of defense they are to to explicitly and specifically define what elements of the program of the contract are considered um, controlled unclassified information, controlled technical information, federal contract information. Uh, they have vehicles with which to be explicit. Those vehicles are security classification guides and other contractual language that they tell us exactly what information that we're processing is expected to be protected. And that, that will help us uh, as a as a supplier scope uh, our cybersecurity program. So, you know, we don't, it, this is all about risk management. We don't want to expend uh, a dime more than it takes to mitigate the risk of compromise of this information down to an acceptable level. Uh, if if we spend more than that, we're, we're wasting money. So, but in order to be able to know exactly what we have to spend, we have to know what we're supposed to protect. So, it's also we are. It's also our duty to push back on the primes in the Department of Defense to get this explicit definition. But other than that, um, like I said, get started. Gets the sooner you can get started building a program, the better. It's our duty as citizens, as not just as a contractor, but as citizens, to protect this information that gives us gives the United States a, a strategic and tactical advantage, and we're going to start being held accountable for it. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate what you said there about uh, pushing back. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think too many people think we're just going to take it. And it, it is our responsibility to push back. And not from a, a perspective of just arguing with the, the client here, but no, yeah. but making the system better. Because yep. that's the thing we've got to make. So, you know, don't just argue, hey, I don't like it because it's not fair. Uh, you know, how can it be better? That's that's a big thing, because I, I think you're right. You said this early on, even though it is a mature model, we're going to see changes. There's no doubt about it. And but those changes won't happen when people sit on the sidelines. And there's some people that are listening that think, well, maybe my company is too small. Maybe we're insignificant. Maybe my voice won't be heard. Keep screaming. You know, if you keep screaming at the top of your lungs about some of these issues that you find your voice will get heard if you do it in the right way too. You know, I say screaming, you know, keep, keep making noise yeah. about it and doing it the right way and your voice will be heard. So I'm really glad you said that everything has been great on, on, on here today. I really appreciate you coming on and just thank you for being on here today. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's been fun. Before we get out of here today, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Do you want to get more out of your government contracting business? Do you feel like you need an edge or some new insights? Are you just looking for maybe even some motivation in the right direction because maybe you're at a plateau? Well, if you said yes to any of those, maybe it's time you join Federal Access and you can start your journey with us today for free. Federal Access is our online training and education knowledge base for government contractors. There's everything you'll ever need to win government contractors in there, including support. But free members can start out with a couple of really basic 
awesome tools. One of them is our on-demand training videos called Strategy Playbooks. There's more than 60 training videos designed to boost your government skills by covering tips, strategies, market updates, and a whole lot more. And new videos are added monthly. So there's always new content coming in for our free members there. You can also get access to 12 key government sales templates and strategy documents to include a step-by-step -step market sales strategy document, a teaming and subcontracting questions to ask document, and two capability statement templates. So you can just plug in your information and rock and roll from there. So those uh, those tools right there are kind of a preview of everything that's in Federal Access. Overall, there's a little over 250 documents in the system right now, but you'll get access to those 12 key documents. You'll get access to the, the 60 plus playbooks and the growing library of that is. All you have to do is visit federal-access.com forward slash join. Uh, the link is also going to be in the description of this podcast, so you can go back later and click on that, but that's federal-access.com forward slash join. So again, if you're feeling stuck in your business, if you feel like you need an edge or some new insights, or you just feel like maybe there's some gaps of knowledge that you 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 just you don't even know what you don't know, right? Something along those lines, then join Federal Access today for free federal-access.com forward slash join join today for free so you can get access to all of that cool content and see everything else in there that some of the paid members get so you actually there'll just be a little gold lock over the paid features and you can upgrade uh, whenever you like until next time thanks for joining us on this episode of game changers for government contractors be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app to get notifications of new episodes and while you're there we would also appreciate it if you'd take a minute to write us an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcasting app that is that you use. So thank you again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.